Let's turn in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6, and we'll be looking at verses 1 to 8. Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 8. Isaiah chapter 6, starting at verse 1. In the, king, in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in, a, in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. I would invite you to open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 5. So we consider another incident in the life of Jesus Christ and what it means to us. Luke chapter 5. And we'll read the first 11 verses there. <clears throat> Let me encourage you to hang on to your Bibles. We'll be using them <clears throat> a fair little bit this morning because the things that I want to say come directly from Jesus and not just my ideas. Luke chapter 5, beginning to read at verse 1. Uh, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he sat at the water's edge, he saw at the water's edge, rather, two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. 
So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Some of you have probably heard the story that I'm about to tell you, but it's a good story, so I'm going to repeat it. A while back, I was in Pineview Lodge and, and engaged in some activity. I think I was with the Golden Fiddlers or something, and one of the older ladies, a resident in Pineview Lodge, walked up to me. I just trimmed my beard, so there isn't a whole lot to grab, but she walked up to me, and she grabbed me by the beard, and she kind of shook my cheek a little bit, and she said, Whiskers, huh? I've never kissed a man with whiskers before. I was a little surprised. <laughs> and, and, you know, being as quick-witted as I am, yeah, right. Um, I suggested to her, lady, at your age, you probably shouldn't be starting anything new. <laughs> now, many people spend all of their lives playing it safe and not having much in the way of adventures. A lot of people like life just plain and simple and uneventful. And as people get older, as we get older, our yen for adventure starts to wane. And sometimes even caution kicks in. One of the things I like to do is to go skiing with my, with my daughter and, and her children. Now, I really like skiing. And my, young, my grandson, my youngest grandson, just loves snowboarding. And over the last couple of years, he's gotten pretty good at it. And man, that looks cool to snowboard. I think I'd really like to try it. I might be good at it. I don't know. You never know. I've never tried it. But there's a word of caution about snowboarding. You see, skiing is something I've done since I was 12 years old. I skied every weekend in the place where we grew up, right up until the time we pretty much got married. And so skiing is fine. Snowboarding, I've never tried it. But they say it is people like me who are older, who think they know what they're doing, who start snowboarding, who wind up getting really badly hurt. And so caution starts to kick in, and my yen for adventure has been subdued a little bit, and I don't think I'll go snowboarding. But I think that old lady that had never kissed a man with whiskers before had a yen for adventure. <laughs> Although I'm not sure what would have happened. I think there was an offer in that statement somewhere. And I'm not sure what would have happened, what kind of adventure I would have had had I taken her up on her offer and then gone home and told Kathy about it. I think many people consider Christianity to be dull and boring. To become a Christian means to be sentenced to poverty and drudgery and plainness. And I think the reality is that Jesus offers us a life that is rarely dull, that is often rich, but we so often fail to take him up on that offer. And Jesus offers us a fullness of life that we can't find anywhere else. But to get there involves a cost. Jesus offers us a fullness of life 
that you can't get anywhere else. Let's take a look in Scripture. You know the story. Jesus is at the beginning of his public ministry. Excuse me. He's just been baptized by John the Baptist. He spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting and being tempted by the devil. And went back to his hometown of Nazareth in Galilee, which is in northern Israel around the, around the Sea of Galilee in that region. Went back to his hometown and got turfed out of the synagogue for uh, saying things that people didn't like. And so Jesus moved on from there. And he went to a, a town on, on just down on the seashore, a town by the name of Capernaum, or Capernaum, if you want to do it that way, which is where Simon Peter lived, which is right on the shore of the, the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus had gone there into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he had healed someone. A man had had, had a demon in him, uh, broke out in the middle of the church service, and Jesus dealt with that. And then he went to Simon, to Simon Peter's home, and his mother-in-law was sick, and, and he healed her, and lots of other people came around to follow him and to bring their sick to him and everything. And you can read that story in Luke chapter 4. And so we net, now we get to chapter 5. And the Bible says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake, people were crowded around him to listen, and there were a couple of boats there, and the guys were washing their nets because they probably drug up some seaweed and some mud and whatever all else, getting things ready for the next night of fishing. And Jesus got into one of those boats, and he says, put out from shore a little ways, and admit, made a perfect teaching platform for him. And so he did his teaching, and after he got done, uh, he said to Peter, he says, okay, let's go fishing. He arranged a little object lesson for him there. He says, put out into deep water and let the nets down. Here's an interesting statement. He said, let the nets down for a catch. In other words, something's going to happen here, guys. And they said to him, like, like, what do you know about fishing? You know? You're from a place where they don't fish. We've been at this all our lives. We've been working hard all night. Like It's not like they were just laying in the boat waiting for the fish to come along. They were working hard all night, absolutely futile. They've got nothing to do, nothing to show for their work. And so Peter says, okay, because it's you telling me what to do, Master. We'll do it. Often when God tells us to do something, we kind of come up with an excuse why we shouldn't, right? We tend to minimize it. We tend to say, well, that's good enough. I don't want to get ridiculous about this. You know, holy living, well, yeah, but need to have some fun too. Anyway, Jesus said to Peter, let's go out, let's go fishing. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. 
They needed help. They filled both boats so full they began to sink, and it was probably Simon's brother Andrew that was there, and the Bible says Peter or James and John were there as well. And so there were two results that happened because of this. Number one, they were absolutely astounded. This is something they hadn't ever seen before. And the other thing that's astounding is in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, the Bible says, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Why did he do that? Why did Peter, I mean, we went fishing and, and we caught lots of fish. Why would that make Peter realize that he is a sinful man? And I think he was finally realizing that he was confronted. He was facing someone who was a whole lot bigger and a whole lot more powerful than he was. It's like the passage that Ken read for us in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah says, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and mighty, lifted up, and he caught a vision of God, and he caught a vision of God's holiness. And, and Isaiah's words were, Woe is me, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And when he was confronted with the immensity, with the hugeness, with the absolute totality of who God was, Isaiah saw himself as this little, little, little person. It's like Job. Do you remember his story? You know, he kept saying, you know, God, you need to explain this to me because I demand an answer from you. And finally, God talks to Job, and Job says, okay, um, I get the point. And uh, it's not up to me to ask questions. Now, the result of all this is curious. Verse 9 says, He and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the partners, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Do you see what they did? Four guys. It says, They pulled their boats up on shore. If it was today, they parked their trucks and their combines. They shut everything down. They left it behind. And they followed him. That's astounding. Why would grown men do something like that? These guys had families. These guys had responsibilities. And I think part of it maybe is a yen for adventure. Way back in the early part of the 20th century, in the early 1900s, a guy by the name of Ernest Shackleton was looking for men to mount an expedition to Antarctica for a race to the South Pole. And he put an advertisement in the newspaper. Now, it's, it's a bit of an apocryphal story because when you do the research on this, the books about Shackleton quote this. But when you do the research on it, there's never any proof that he actually put this particular advertisement in the paper, but he did write about it. There were articles that were published. But it was a small advertisement, and he said men wanted 
for a hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. 5,000 people responded. There's no money in this. It was a grueling trip. Now, there, there's a, that, that whole story, it's a fascinating study in leadership because Shackleton brought all his guys back. I mean, they failed horribly, but he brought them all back home safely. 5,000 guys responded to Shackleton's call for volunteers to go to the South Pole with him. Why do young men volunteer to go to war? I think because there's a yen for adventure. And frankly, when you follow Jesus, there is an adventure there that you can't find anywhere else. And there isn't a whole lot in terms of earthly reward, but Jim, Jim Elliot, the, the missionary who was murdered in Ecuador in 1956, says he is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. They pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. And so many of us read that story. We admire the events, but we fail to enter the adventure. Either we're timid, are we playing it safe, or do we play it selfish sometimes? Do you remember the story of the rich young ruler, the rich young man who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments. And the guy said, okay, I've done all that. So Jesus said to him, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have and give it away and then come and follow me. Enter into the adventure, Jesus said. And the Bible says the young man went away sad because he had great wealth. You'll find the story in Matthew chapter 19. He not only played it safe, he played it selfish. And we're going to go back to Matthew 19 in a little bit. But there's an unpleasant reality, and you'll find it in Luke chapter 14, and I'm sorry for taking you to Matthew too early, but you'll find an unpleasant reality in Luke chapter 14. In my Bible, it's entitled, The Cost of Being a Disciple. Luke chapter 14 and verse 25, large crowds, the Bible says, were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross 
and follow me cannot be my disciple. Verse 33, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. That's a harsh reality. Jesus said, if you want to hang on to stuff, if you want to hang on to things, you cannot be my disciple. So you might ask yourself this morning, well, what if I don't want to be a disciple? What if I just want to be a lukewarm Christian and go through the motions? Maybe Jesus will leave me alone and I can squeeze into heaven at the end of my life. And Jesus said, no, it doesn't work that way. If you do not give everything you have, you cannot be my disciple. And in that story, in, in, in Matthew chapter 19, the story of the rich young man, Jesus says these words. He said, I tell you the truth at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me, he's talking to the disciples, will also sit on 12 thrones. And then verse 29 of Matthew 19, he says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much, and Mark adds, in this life and in the life to come will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And the reality is, you can play it safe and hang on to things and fail to enter the adventure and miss the fullness that Jesus can give you. But it's scary. What motivated these guys to give up everything that says they left everything to follow Jesus? You see, we say, well, you know, just add Jesus to your busy life. Just, you know, pray this prayer and then you'll get to go to heaven and then you can just go on with your life. It doesn't work that way. Jesus asks us, to surrender everything to him. Do you remember the story of Abraham and his son Isaac? And God came to Abraham and said to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, your one and only son. I want you, and God didn't tell him this at the beginning, but he said, I want to test you to see whether or not you will love me and you will obey me when the going gets hard. And so Abraham went through all the motions, and as he had the knife in his hands to plunge it into his son, God said to him, stop. I was just checking. But following God costs us everything we have. We are asked to lay it on the altar, to leave it behind. If you are going to follow Jesus, you need to put stuff on the altar. You need to submit it to God. And so I'm asking you this morning to enter into the adventure that the disciples did, to take your treasures, to leave everything behind, and to follow Christ, whatever that may take, because in doing that, you will discover a fullness of life that you don't have. You cannot find anywhere else by hanging on to the stuff that you find so dear. 
How do you do that? Well, let me help you out. I think what you and I need to do, and I'm not asking you to do it here this morning. I'm asking you to go home. And I'm asking you to build an altar to your dorm room, to your house, to your bedroom. And on that altar, you put your treasures. You put down your gifts and your abilities. You put down all the things you hold dear. You put down, if you're a young person, you put down your future. If you're an older person, you put down your security. And we'll talk a little bit about what some of these treasures are. These are some of mine. This is my family. I don't have a picture of the other daughter and her children, but there's five of them as well. She, her husband, three little girls. It's my treasure. It's pretty hard to put that down. This is my freedom. It's a picture that Curtis Jurgens took, and there's Richard and I riding our motorcycles through the boonies of Idaho. It's my freedom to do what I want to do. This is my pilot's logbook. I was looking for that thing. I have a commercial pilot license. I did this many years ago. I took my driver's license and I took my commercial pilot license and I laid them on the desk and I said to God, you can have them. So I'm not holding anything back. He took this one, by the way. There's some stuff I got to keep. I still play music, but it can be a much, very much a distraction for me. I still fly a little bit on my computer. My motorcycle right now, it's iffy, iffy whether that thing is dead or alive. We don't know. My family, there's 12 of us. My wife, myself, two daughters, their husband, each have three children. And I don't know what your treasures are. But go home. Build an altar. Maybe it's your house. Maybe it's your farm. Maybe it's your family, or your car, or your toys, or your health, or your money, or your pension, or your safety, your security, your comfort. You're using your age as an excuse. 
Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your life. Maybe it's your king income. Maybe it's your future. But if Peter and Andrew and James and John could pull their boats up on shore, they'd park their trucks, they'd park their combines, they left everything, the Bible says, and follow Jesus. And so, go home. Build an altar. Get on your knees. Say, you know what, Lord? It's yours. Now, you may get to keep some of it. You may get to keep all of it. You may get to keep none of it. But Jesus said, no one who has left stuff for my sake will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this life and in the world to come, eternal life. You see, we're scared to enter into the adventure because it's a huge unknown. It's like taking a step in the dark. You don't know where the bottom is. It's absolutely scary and frightening and yet absolutely exhilarating at the same time. And I don't care. You can be eight years old and do this. You can be 18 years old and do this. And you can be 80 years old and do this. And say, Lord, Jesus said, if you don't walk away from everything you have, if you don't give up everything you have, you cannot be my disciple. Wow. It's scary. And when I put some of my stuff down on the altar years ago, God took some of it and he let me keep some of it. My life changed, but I wouldn't go back. He is no fool, Jim Elliot said, who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And so my challenge to you is today to follow the example of the disciples who pull their boats up on shore, left it behind, and followed him. And when you do that, you will discover a fullness of life that you cannot find anywhere else. And it really doesn't matter whether you're 8 or 18 or 48 or 80. It's never too late. It's always worth it. And in the world to come, 
Someday you and I are going to be sitting around in heaven and some of you will say these words, why did I hang on so tight? And others of you are going to say, I'm so glad I let go. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your insurance. Maybe it's the home that you've worked so hard for for all these years. Maybe it's your family. You know, Catherine has four grandchildren going on missions trip. A little scary sometimes, you know. They're safer in God's hands than they are in yours, right? Yeah. Let's pray together. Father, it's so easy to talk about these things in a theoretical manner. And it's so easy to read about the disciples and, wow, wasn't it cool for them to leave everything behind and follow you? But we don't like those words where you tell us that if we don't give up everything we have, we can't be your disciple. And we try and make that work. We try and, and, and find a way around that. And, and, oh, Lord, please forgive us for being playing it safe, for being dumb, for being rebellious and unresponsive. Lord, I know when we get to heaven and we look around and everything you have for us, we're going to say, why did we hang on to stuff that we had? And even now, there's a fullness in life even now that we can never experience if we don't let go of things and fully trust you. So Lord, keep us, guide us, help us to embark on this adventure where we trust you, where we put our hand in yours and say, take me wherever you wanna go, here's my stuff. You do with it whatever you want, whatever you think is right, but I'm gonna follow you. So, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our resolve. I pray that you would teach and guide and direct us and then give us a fullness of life that we could never imagine without you. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you that we can trust you. Lord, bless us as we put our hands in yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Think about this. Build an altar. And some of you I hope to see tonight were dismissed. <laughs>